You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. So today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of uh, the burning of the incense came, all those assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he was staying so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, when I was in my early 20s, I used to do breakfast radio. Now, this involved setting my alarm for 4.30 a.m. Not something I would ever recommend. And because I was doing a volunteer, it meant that I had like the rest of my normal day after that. 
And so I was a fairly sleep deprived person during that time. It wasn't very pleasant, but what it did prepare me for was having a baby. Uh, I've actually had two uh, <laughs> so far. Uh, and you don't get a lot of sleep when you first have a baby in the house because the baby alarm can go off at any point. Wah, 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 wah. At least with the breakfast alarm, breakfast radio alarm, as much as it was unpleasant, it was always at 4.30. But of course, the baby alarm can go off any time, night or day. Now, if you've experienced sleep deprivation in your life, maybe because of a baby, maybe because of shift work, maybe because of insomnia, you'll know that you're just, you're not at your best as a human being. You're irritable, you're short-tempered, you're dazed and confused, <laughs> you're vague, you're just not at your best. And I still remember, uh, you know, I was playing in a couple of sporting teams in that first season that we had our first baby, and I still have pangs of regret at the way I spoke to and treated some of my teammates during that first season. Not opposition players, not referees, teammates, the people I was my friends who I'm meant to be getting along with. And I'm like, oh no, some of the times I snapped at them, I still regret that like 10 years later. Because the reality is when we're full of energy and we're well rested, we're much better at taking on the challenges, uh, big or small, in life. And when we're tired, we're just worse at it. And, you know, and the small challenges that come along, we tend to not cope with them very well. Now, of course, we've all been living under this pandemic for the last couple of years, and that's created this collective sense of weariness. And people talk about this all the time, we're all tired. And that's in a place like Melbourne where the pandemic has not had a huge death toll and not had uh, a huge hospitalization toll like it has in many parts of the world. There's even uh, talk of things like the Great Resignation. Don't know if you've heard of this, but it's happening in Western countries like Australia, where record amounts of people are just quitting their jobs, just saying, I've had enough. Now, there's lots of factors as to why this is happening, but the number one reason people are giving for quitting their jobs is burnout, severe fatigue, just so tired of their jobs that they have to get out of there. Now, anecdotally, and this is just me uh, making observations, I don't have any sort of scientific research to back it up, but I get the sense that we're all a little bit more grumpy in the way we speak to each other. Now, that's happening online, but may maybe online's just like that, <laughs> but also in person. You know, that uh, I think we're just more likely to be a bit more short or rude or harsh with each other when we speak to each other. People are perhaps a bit more likely to overreact to things that we say to each other. And it could be that this collective weariness that we're all experiencing is a big contributor to that. Because when we're tired, we don't necessarily put our best side forward. You know, we're not polished up for other people, and we tend to let people see the real us, which let's be honest, is full of flaws uh, and is far from perfect. So that's our context that we're living in at the moment, a weary world. Now, in the context of today's passage that we're looking at from Luke chapter one, that's often described as a weary world as well. In fact, the Christmas carol 
O Holy Night. And this is the start of our Advent series, which is the lead into Christmas. And I'll talk about that towards the end of our talk today. That actually uses the line, a weary world, to describe the time of the, describe the world that Jesus was born into and the time that we're looking at in today's passage. Of course, we're looking at John's birth today, not Jesus, but uh, they came very close together at a very similar age. In fact, in verse 5 uh, of Luke chapter 1, we read this about the setting. Uh, it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, Herod was the king of Judea, means you know, king of the Jew Jewish people. But that didn't mean he was in charge. Actually, it was the Roman Empire who was in charge. The Romans had just conquered heaps of people, you know, heaps of countries. That's what the Roman Empire was doing at that point in history. And the way the Romans worked is when they came in, invaded and conquered and took over, is they let you kind of keep doing your own thing. You didn't have to become Roman. You could keep doing your own traditions and your own customs, but you were under Roman rule and under Roman restriction. And so uh, it was the Romans way first and your way second. So what they would do is they would appoint the local leaders. So Herod was appointed by the Romans. He was like their puppet leader. Uh, they chose him. He was not elected by the people you, you know, that, or anything like that. So our two Jewish characters, main characters in the passage, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been living under Roman oppression uh, probably for their entire lives. So they had some freedom. They could still follow God, uh, definitely believers, but with restrictions. And uh, on top of this oppression from the Romans, they would have been experiencing a spiritual stagnation as God's people. You see, God's people have been, God had chosen these people to be a blessing to the world, a blessing to all the other nations. And at times throughout history, they'd done that really well. And at other times, they hadn't done it so well. And there'd been a period of disobedience where they'd been really getting it wrong. And so God had actually sent them into exile. He'd removed them from their homeland as a period of, of discipline. And then he brought them back. And so they're back in their homeland. But now the Romans have come in and they're, you know, they're in charge. And so you're living as one of God's people going, we've got this mission that God's given us to be a blessing to the nations, but the Romans are kind of in charge. Uh, we've got this corrupt King Herod who's just getting wealth off our own misery and he's partnering up with the Romans and he really doesn't seem to care about us at all. And so there was this great sense of them waiting for God to rescue them from the situation that they were in. You know, we've been thinking in Melbourne uh, this year, when will this six-month lockdown finish? Well, try being Jewish people in Zachariah and Elizabeth's time thinking, when will this 60-year occupation finish? So that's their, I guess, community context that the passage takes place in. But there's a, a personal dynamic going on for this couple as well, and we see that in verse 7. Verse 7 says, They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, this is something that many of us will be able to connect with pretty easily. 
this sense of hoping. Many people dream of having children at some point in their life. And when you find out you're unable to, that can be devastating news. Now, potentially that's because you're single and you just haven't found someone that you're able to have uh, children with. Um, maybe it's because uh, just physically you're unable to uh, for some reason, or uh, you know, you've had a miscarriage or something like that, and, uh, uh, and it's been hard to get pregnant again. And all these situations can just be devastating, a deep sense of loss, sadness, and disappointment. Perhaps you're even going through that right now. And so when you see this story, you have no problems connecting with it emotionally. You get it. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible and we go back, you know, we're trying to connect with something that was written two, 3,000 years ago, it can be a bit hard to connect with it because the culture is so different. But sometimes it's not that hard. And this is a situation where it's pretty easy to relate to the characters. But there's an extra dynamic for these two that maybe is not as common for us, particularly in our situation in Melbourne. And we see it in verse 25. When Elizabeth has become pregnant, miraculously, she's celebrating that. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So it's not just taken away my sense of loss or disappointment, but taken away my disgrace. And see, what would happen in their culture uh, historically, and it does happen in some cultures today, is that there's this sort of spiritual, social stigma attached to couples that can't have children. There's this sense that God or maybe the gods have cursed that couple in some way. They must have done something wrong. God must not like them. And that's why they can't have children. This was sort of a, an unhelpful and an untrue assumption that people might make about couples like that couples who find themselves in that situation. And so uh, people would often be suspicious of people like Zachariah and Elizabeth and maybe even abusive towards them. So we don't really have that uh, as a common thing happening in Melbourne. Uh, I would like it perhaps if you want a comparison to racial abuse. Uh, it's not exactly the same but similar in the sense that Sometimes, racial abuse is basically abusing someone for something that they can't control. So basically the way they look. That's why racism is so dumb and so ridiculous. And of course, we have plenty of that in our society and it reared its ugly head again throughout the year. Uh, the Aboriginal AFL footballer, Eddie Betts, recently retired, uh, was again racially abused this year after a career full of being abused for being Aboriginal. And he spoke about it so well on television, and I went back and watched the interview during the week. And uh, when he spoke, he said, I'm sick and I'm tired of it. It's draining. And not only did he say it was making him tired, you could see it on his face and you could, you could hear it in his voice. And, and despite all that, he did manage to have a, a really gracious response you know, I'd be tempted to just lash out angrily and just have an absolute gut full. He was still committed to educating people. He was still committed to reconciliation, which was so admirable. Uh, but, I, you know, so it would be so tempting to have a, a non-gracious, non-patient response to that. 
And I can't help but wondering that you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth in their situation, surely they would have been weary from being the cursed couple in their village. And I wonder, how were they responding to that? Were they patient? Were they gracious? Or were they tempted to lash out when they received abuse for their situation? Anyway, Zachariah, he's in this situation where he's a priest and he's working in God's temple. And in verse 9, we see that he's got a particularly important role on this day. Uh, he's going to go and burn some incense in a particularly special part of the temple where only one priest is allowed to go at a time. And the burning of incense was a role that most priests only did once in their entire lifetime. So it's a, a particularly special day for him. In fact, some scholars would suggest this might have been the, the most important specialist day of Zachariah's life. And so then we add to that in verse 11, an angel appears to him with a message. And in verse 13, we see that the message is that uh, he is going to have a, a child, uh, miraculously given their age and, and what's happened in their life so far, and that they had to call this child John. And then the angel goes on to describe a bit about how to raise John and what John's life is going to be about, what purpose God has given John's life. And in verse 16, we read this significant thing. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. John's role in life was to bring an end to the spiritual stagnation that God's people had been experiencing. He was going to bring new hope and new energy to a weary population. And that's basically what happened. We know historically that happened. Uh, we know uh, through reading the rest of the Bible that that's actually what John did. He grew up and through his leadership and his ministry, there was this great revival of God's people during his time. And many people turned from a, a life of sort of stagnation and disobedience to a radical change and uh, moving towards God. But John's birth and John's life and ministry wasn't just good news for people who lived in his time and during his lifetime, although it certainly was. It also was good news that echoed on uh, to generations to follow and is continuing to be good news for us as well. And so what I want to do with the rest of today's talk is to focus on how it's good news for us today and, and do a bit of reflecting on that. Now, in my time as a church minister, I've done a fair bit of counselling. Now, not in the sense of like book an appointment and come to my counselling office, but in the sense of talking to people about life and the challenges and problems that we have in life, particularly from a Christian perspective. Now, when I first got into this, I had this mindset of a bit of a fixer. You know, you tell me your problem, I'll identify the solution and tell you what to do and you go off and you, you're fixed. And uh, yeah, so that didn't actually go that well. <laughs> like occasionally the solution worked, but often it didn't. Sometimes it made it worse. Sometimes people uh, didn't really follow through and do any of my suggestions. Some people didn't like the suggestions. I said, I said no, I'm not going to do that. 
Uh, and so it wasn't going that well. So I talked to some more experienced, wiser people than myself about this, and we came up with a better a way to approach counseling, which was all about listening, radically. <laughs> and uh, so listening tended to work a lot better. Uh, people really appreciated me just shutting up and letting them tell me a little bit about what was going on uh, and not trying to fix things straight away and instead asking questions and getting to know the situation better and getting to know them better. And in fact, it seemed like people were happy to talk and not have any solutions at all. Like a few times people would finish you know, our catch up and get ready to leave and say, oh, thank you, this is so great, it was really helpful, uh, wonderful catch up, you know, thanks for, your, thanks for your time. And then leave. And I'd be like, but we've got so many problems, we haven't, we haven't fixed any of them. You're just heading off and you think, what, what's so great about this? You know. So again, I go back to the wise and more experienced people and try and work out why people thought that was so good. And they were very helpful. And here's the, here's the reason, right? People felt loved, not fixed. And it was because I was treating them like a person, not a project. And when people, I think subconsciously what we do is we ask, you know, when we're, to, when we're interacting with anyone really, but particularly about important things, first thing we want to know is, does this person love me? You, you, you know, not, not like in a romantic way, but just like, you know, does this person care for me? Do they have my best interests at heart? And by listening, like I think I always had, but I hadn't shown that by just trying to fix the issue. And by listening and getting to know them and getting to know the situation, I was demonstrating that a lot better than I had been when I was in fix-it mode. The reality of life is, no matter how hard we work, we'll never fix everything. And if we try to, if we try and just fix all our problems and all everyone else's problems, we'll just get tired. And then we won't be at our best because when we're tired, we'll get grumpy and we'll get angry and we'll become harsh and relationships will start to fall apart and marriages will break up and parents will have fallouts with their kids because it's harder to love people when we're exhausted. And so that's why John's role, as outlined by the angel, is good news, not just for 2,000 years ago, but for us today. And why what the angel says in verse 17 is so important, and it points to something that we need to pay attention to. Verse 17, the angel says this, he will go on before the Lord, so the Lord is God and God's going to do something and John's sort of getting ready for that. In the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, I'm not depending on your biblical knowledge so far in your life, you may or may not know about Elijah. But someone reading for this for the first time who knows a lot about the Old Testament, um, when they read Elijah, that's a big name drop one of the great Old Testament prophets. So when you're comparing John with Elijah, you're going, oh, okay, he's working in big, big power here. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. These were two big problems of God's people. And so John's preparing the way here and 
doing some foundational work. And here's the key bit, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John's role was to get things ready for God to do something big. Now, it's not clear exactly here in verse 17 what that is. But as we read through the book of Luke, it becomes obvious that that big thing that God was going to do was to come to the earth as Jesus. For God to become a human being and to come to earth and live as one of us, to show us how to do relationships with each other in a loving way, to show us how to have a loving relationship with God, to live and to die a sacrificial death and to rise again and to do things that we simply cannot do as limited human beings because he would be both God and human. You know, the, the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, sings that the weary world rejoices. The weary world celebrates because God had come into the world to do what we cannot, to address the problems that are too big and too complicated and too much for us to handle ourselves. And Jesus did that uh, in so many ways. And he did that by bringing God's grace into the world. Grace is the undeserved, unearned love of God. When it comes to God's love, there's no need to prove yourself worthy. His love is freely given. There's no requirement to work off the failures of the past. His love is freely given. So when we have God's grace given to us by God himself in such a tangible way coming to earth as one of us, that really takes the pressure down for us. You know, solutions to problems are good. I don't want to say like, you know, we should never try and fix anything or we should never do any work. That stuff's good, but it's not everything. And it's not the, not the solution to life. When we have grace at the heart of who we are, both as individuals and as a community, life is transformed. Rest becomes much more than just a distraction from the problems of the world. It becomes something so much deeper and richer and more profound when we have grace. Grace is the best. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful, life-transforming thing. If you don't have it in your life, either because you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or maybe you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but uh, you're just going, I'm not, I'm not really sure I've really got grace, then let's please today seek Jesus today and ask for his grace in great amounts because it is wonderful and it changes everything. And it's a huge, it should be a huge focus of ours as we go through our Advent season, this preparation for Christmas. We're calling our Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices. And in Advent, we're really doing three things. We're remembering that grace came into the world through Jesus. And by doing that, you know, we remember the stories, the, the Christmas stories and, and all the events that led up to the birth of Jesus. That's a wonderful thing to do, to remember those events 2,000 years ago. We're not just doing that though, because God's grace is still at work in the world today. 
Jesus, after his resurrection, sent his spirit into the world, gifts it to everyone who puts their faith in him so that we can continue to experience his unearned, unconditional love today. And so we can all experience his grace today. And so we should be asking, what is he up to now in our time, in our lives, in our church today? And what we also do at Advent is we look forward to the return of Jesus when he's going to renew everything. There'll be no weariness, no spiritual stagnation, not even the temptation to disobey. Now, as we go through the rest of our service, as we sing together, as we pray together, as we do communion together, I really want to encourage you, if you're a fixer, like, like, like I have been at times in my life, or if you're exhausted, or if you're finding that you are being harsh, you know, if you are someone who's not responding in grace to various situations in your life, to let's ask God's help to put those things down and to instead be filled with God's spirit and filled with his grace. We need his help with this. It's not something we can do in our own strength because again, that's us working and trying to fix ourselves. We need God's help. We need the spirit of Jesus to give us this gift. And the good news is he wants to. He, get, he wants to give it to us freely and all we need to do is ask. So I encourage you to do that as we go through the rest of the service now. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.